Okay. All right, cool. Um, welcome, everybody. We are trying a new idea. This whole podcast idea, kind of idea, Leah and I were talking about maybe doing a little bit of Torah study every week and thought maybe we would kind of turn it into a podcast. So we're calling it Spiniverse, or at least we are for this week. And uh, so let's just go with like a little roundup of who we have with us. So I'm Rabbi Josh, I'm the executive director of Goucher Hillel, um, he, him pronouns. My name is Leah, she, her pronouns, and I am Goucher Hillel co-president. Uh, hello, I'm Ryan Ornstein. I use she, her pronouns, and I am the co-chair for Goucher Hillel's Shabbat committee. Awesome. All right, so we got a Torah portion this week. Got one every week. They just keep coming, you know? Um, and this one is Mishpatim. So uh, we're in Exodus, just kind of situating us a little bit, or Shmot. And it's we're kind of past a lot of the narrative stuff of, you know, going through Egypt and all of the forefathers and all of that. And all of a sudden, we're kind of in this whole area that's all about laws. Um, so anybody want to read through just our basic summary of what we got in this portion this week? Sure. Go for it. Um, the children of Israel are standing at the base of Mount Sinai, and God has just spoken to them, revealing the Ten Commandments for all to hear. What comes next? Parshat Mishpatim. And as the name implies, Mishpatim means laws or judgments. It is a whole lot of laws. In fact, until the final chapter of the Parsha, and with the possible tiny exception of Exodus 23 to 23, uh, there is no narrative whatsoever. It is one long list of laws. Do this, don't do that, and if you disobey, this will be your punishment. The laws cover a range of topics, slaves, loans, charging interest, personal injury, property damage, and more, but they are far from comprehensive. It is not as if this is a complete list of the 613 mitzvah of everything that God asks of the children of Israel over the course of the remaining five books of the Torah. Thank you, Ryan. All right, so we're just going to jump right into it and kind of go to one of these laws right here. Um, all right, I'm going to read it, and then I really just want your takes on it, guys. This is all about hot take. Anything you have to say is good. You are part of the tradition. You are speaking here. You are living commentary. All right, so Exodus 21, 22 to 25. <clears throat> when men fight and one of them pushes a pregnant woman and a miscarriage results, but no other damage ensues, the one responsible shall be fined according as the woman's husband may exact from him, the payment to be based on reckoning. But if other damage ensues, the penalty shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. All right, guys, what you got on this? So I look at it and I kind of have some questions. This is not super clear. Like it, it is, but it isn't. So when men fight and one of them pushes a pregnant woman, and then if the miscarriage happens, the woman's husband has to like charge a price. Um, so A, what if it's the husband who's fighting and he accidentally pushes her resulting in a miscarriage? B, what if the woman's not married? Who gets to decide like that? Um, retribution. 
Yeah, uh, I. Oh, sorry, Josh. I thought that was really interesting, really like strange, also because it's so indistinct. Like, say, one woman suffers a miscarriage after being pushed. Her husband could be like, "Oh, give me eight gazillion dollars," and another time, some guys like, "Ah, eh, no big deal. Just give me ten dollars." I think it's very strange that it's so not exact. Yeah. Yeah, and what we're talking about here is, it's actually pretty like relevant, like the value of the potential of a human life, you know, of this child, which is no longer, which which was miscarried, you know? So, um, and then we have this whole thing that comes at the end. that's like kind of the famous eye for an eye, you know, makes the whole world blind. Um, any takes on that and why that might be connected to this? I'm still kind of trying to like figure it out because either way somebody is like has to answer for their actions or their consequences. But it's really interesting because um, no other, if it's only miscarriage and no other damage, it's like money. But if the woman gets damaged, like gets injured along with a miscarriage, then it becomes like bodily harm for bodily harm. I see your hand, Leah. Uh, Let me just finish my thought and then you can go. Um, So I think it's just kind of an interesting distinction of like almost where Judaism places a little bit of value. Like, sure, you know, like not to say Judaism doesn't value these things, but it's like an interesting distinction. Leah. Yeah, I was going to bounce right off of what you said, Ryan, where... It is strange where they're like valuing this human life in a financial way, but at the same time with damage where it's an eye for an eye, a burn for a burn, that's something that both people can actually get. But say a man pushes a woman, she falls down the stairs or something and has a miscarriage. You can't do that kind of equal payment, I guess, in that scenario the same way. So it can't be as straightforward. Yeah. Also, what if women fight and a woman pushes a woman that results in a miscarriage? Like, there are, like, so many specific parts of this. Like, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Like, they are, like, spelling out what body parts are up for grabs in terms of, like, revenge. But it doesn't say, like, the circumstances that are necessary for that revenge to be justified. Do you take it literally, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? How do you take it? I I do take it a little bit literally, but I also understand that, like, probably not as literal. Um, I was always, like, taught for a very long time that an eye for an eye was, like, an eye, like a physical eye, like if somebody gouges out your eye, then they have to pay you the, like, financial worth of that eye. So, like, if you bought an eye for $5, they have to give you $5 because they gouged out your eye. They don't actually have to give you another eye. <laughs> Or gouge out their own eye, you know, like, because that yeah. would be not good. But yeah, so that, that that's actually, you're actually echoing like a very basic rabbinic uh, commentary on this, which is like one of the first rabbinic commentaries I read. Because literally it could mean an eye for an eye. And, you know, maybe in ancient societies, like you, you break my foot, I break your foot, you know. Um, but uh, the rabbis, when they comment on this, they're like, you know, ayin tacharayin, an eye for an eye, mamon. That means like 
a monetary fine. So exactly like the, the classic rabbinic take on this is you're right. Like it's supposed to be some sort of equal value of the loss of that body part. That's like all of that. Um, interestingly, the first part of this is actually also used to talk about abortion and, you know, in Judaism, like does the fetus have status of being a life, right? Because if this is the case, and when a miscarriage happens before the baby is born and there's a monetary fine, um, that would imply to a certain extent that we're not talking about something that's murder, right? Because capital crimes, if you kill another person, you can be put to death depending on the circumstance and the situation. Uh, but it's not just a monetary fine. So the idea here, it's interesting because it's extrapolated in one way. Now, Brian, you were talking about like all of the different scenarios that are not covered here, the two women that are what if both of them are pregnant? What if one of them does have a pregnant wife? And should he, she also have to miscarry? You know, like there's no, it doesn't cover every possible scenario. It covers this scenario. And then we have to sort of like guess from there what it would mean and like what's between the lines. And that's one of the challenges about the Torah is like stuff might've applied in one day and one in age that we don't know exactly how it should apply in our day. Um, and some of the things that we read in the Torah are going to be really objectionable, like the next verse. So let's take a quick look at this one for a second. All right. Leah, I think you're up. Okay. If a man seduces a virgin for whom the bride prince has not been paid and lies with her, he must make her his wife by payment of a bride price. If her father refuses to give him to her, he must still weigh out silver in accordance with the bride price for virgins. All right, so it's unclear here. This is an interesting one because it's unclear here if we're talking about rape or not. Um, we're, we are talking about a society in which like there's this, that women are seen as property in a certain way, right? So we've got to like deal with that uh and maybe i'll stop i just hear your takes on this this whole deal so these first two like parts the one about like the men fighting and then it's quite interesting because it's incredibly patriarchal as in like women in these two cases don't really seem to have autonomy over their bodies but it's also quite interesting because it puts all of the responsibility on the men hmm. so it's it's an interesting thing because in like a lot of patriarchal societies it's like men are up here, women are here, and men don't really suffer consequences. But in these two passages, the men like are in charge, but that also means that they have to deal with the ramifications of their superiority in air quotes. <laughs> um, well put. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's like a total cancellation. I like. I don't like the fact that this implies that women don't have autonomy over their bodies, but it's a quite interesting, like maybe detail that is not often examined. Yeah. I, I think that, yeah, it's as always, like part of what you can do is look at the text in its own time and context. And was it progressive in a certain way for its time uh, in the sense of, 
I think exactly as you said it, Ryan. Um, and then there's the question of like, what do we do with it today? You know, so, um, you know, it's horrific in a way, the idea that if this is rape, that, you know, this woman is condemned, like has to be living with this man forever. Um, back in that time, maybe there was some idea that she would not have had the ability to provide for herself um, and would also not have been desirable, you know, as a match at that point. And so this is meant to be protective, but it has the potential within it at the same time to be pretty like entrapping, like creating a situation that is not safe, you know, in any way. Yeah. I think if you were take it to take it in like a context of today, I think the only thing you could pull from this is like own up to your like own up to your mistakes. And even then it's a loose like it's it's a wobbly bridge to get from this passage to own up to your mistakes. Yeah. Slash yeah. face the consequences. Yeah, I agree. But then you also have kind of jumping off what Josh you said before is if her father refuses to give him to her, he still has to pay. So I don't know exactly what scenario that would fall under and why that decision would be made. But I do think it's another example of like, well, no, you're not going to marry her, but you still kind of like have to own up to what happened. You still have to, because then this money, but also that kind of falls under, well, she's not going to marry you. Now that she's not a virgin, she's not going to be able to marry anyone. So you have to give us this money because now, now she'll be like stuck at home forever. Yeah. And I don't know if this is covered anywhere in the Torah, but what if it's like, to the roles are reversed. What if a woman seduces a, a single man or a married man? What are the consequences for like when women do bad things? Uh, well, it, it, one of those scenarios is covered in another place in the Torah portion. And essentially, um, if a woman lies with a married man, he's, this is the problem. Uh, so I think the Torah does at this point in time polygyny, meaning a man married to more than one woman or having relations with more than one woman is allowed, but a woman having relations with more than one man, again, patriarchy, not allowed. Um, so in that case, uh, if she was married, she'd suffer consequences. He probably wouldn't. Um, but the other scenario in which a woman seduces a single man that's the other thing too, is that, you know, the, the idea about virginity and all that seems to, it's it's a double-edged, double standard that applies to women and not to men. Um, and yeah, like, <laughs> it's rough. I went with some verses here that would be some like difficult ones. I should go with some feel-good ones next time too. This next one, you know, you, know, you like to like to mix it up, try and mix it up. Yeah. So next time, so the next one here, the last one we have today, I think the last one we is about uh, lending money. Okay, and this is this deals with like a whole issue, kind of like, but anyway, let's read it. Um, if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, do not act towards them as a creditor, exact no interest from them. So where, the, where it says my people and the M is capitalized, is that referring to like the other Jewish people? That's, most yeah, most of the take it seems to be okay. that case. Yeah, that and it's God who's saying this, so it's God's yeah. people. So yeah. I was thinking that. 
I mean, I think I think it makes sense. <laughs> Where if you're lending money to the poor among you, why they're not going to be able to pay interest back. That's still a big problem in the world today where people who are in need of money take out these loans so that they can live, but then suddenly the loans are a gazillion dollars higher than they even originally paid, and it's impossible, and they can still never get out of this like rut because they're still paying back these loans that maybe they needed just to, in this situation, if you're lending money from someone, maybe just to survive, but then they end up being in this situation where they can't pay it back forever. Yeah. This kind of thing also leads to, so, I mean, it's interesting because there are ways around this, like the rabbis kind of invent some ways around this because like, you know, let's say you need money to buy a house or something that you need a lot of money and like, who's going to be interested to give you that money if they're not sure they're going to get it back. And then at the end of the day, they don't make money on it. So like there, but there are things called like Hebrew fee loan societies that exist, you know, essentially to serve this kind of purpose, you know, for people who are in need. Um, and interestingly enough, like, so there's the whole question about like relationships between Jews and Christians and how like this verse has a lot to do with um, the Christian idea that as a Christian, you wouldn't lend money to another Christian in interest. Interestingly enough, how like that played out in medieval Europe was like, who did they bring in when they needed to borrow money in big amounts and made be the only people who could, they could lend money to people at interest? Jews. Right. So like when you talk about the, the stereotypes about Jews and money and it's, it's really because based on a Christian interpretation of this verse, Jews were often forced into the role of being the lenders in interest to Christians and then, you know, stuck with all of the, the stereotypes that were associated with that. But they were necessary in some ways in the society from an economic perspective. So kind of going off of that. So it says my people, and in this context, we're referring to that as Jews. Um, so why did they get off scot-free of, like, lending Christians money with no interest? Like, why was no, there, lending like... lending Christians money with interest. Oh, they could do that? Okay, I was about to be like, what does this say about loaning money to Christians? Um, yeah, it's like, it's pretty straightforward, but you could also go like a lot of places with that in terms of looking at like in a more modern lens, who my people refers to, because in this context, it's clearly referring to the Jewish people. And it was very, I think, appropriate for when it came out. But in the context of today, to say my people is a little bit like isolating and like um, exclusionary in some cases. Um it should so, just be a universal principle. Like. Yeah. I'm like curious to like know the context behind this. Why is this and granted, you know, the Torah is Jewish text, but why is this a Jewish law? Why is it not a universal law? I think that's a good question. There's a lot embedded in that, right? Like in the sense of like for whom are we responsible? and to whom are we responsible and for whose economic well-being are we responsible because that's part of what this what's embedded in this verse you know the idea that you want to create a just society in which the poor are not constantly being in a state of poverty and that is also interesting too because this does speak about the poor so what if you're lending money to somebody who does have means but they need money for a project you know like um 
doesn't mean you can do things differently. And, and I think that some of the interpretation goes that way, which is yeah. about like justice within society and predatory lending and the problem that persists to this day, that those who need the most funds are often the ones who pay the most interest because they have no other options than often to turn to people who are really unscrupulous. Yeah, what's also interesting is it doesn't like, it doesn't command people to lend money. It just says, if you do it, be prepared to not expect anything in return, which is almost like kind of like the bottom of contracts. They're like, we are not responsible for any personal loss of items. It's like, it's almost, it's, it reminds me a little bit of that of like, you can do it, but we're not going to be responsible for it. Like, like you got to like take, um, take accountability, take responsibility. I think it kind of with, in terms of not collecting interest from the poor, Judaism talks so, so much in every scenario. Oh, you should give to the poor. You shouldn't cut the corners of your field so the poor can come and take it. So obviously there's already this huge importance of giving to people who are less fortunate. So I think it makes sense. Like if you're going to lend the money, great. But at the end of the day, by accepting interest, that would kind of go against that basic law of giving to the poor and helping them when you lend the money to help them, but you're taking more back and ending up harming them due to yeah. that. Also in this context, what constitutes poor? How, where is that bar, where is that bar set? Because, and who determines who's poor? Who like, is it based on like, if I see somebody and I think they're poor, like how does this law like determine who's poor and who's, kind of protected under this. It doesn't, right? So it leaves a lot open. And there actually is very little in definitions of the Torah, as far as I know, about what that poverty line is, you know, that we might call, we have certain economic factors in our society. Um, as always, we're going to end up with probably more questions than we have answers when we talk through these texts. And that's a good thing, because it gives us some curiosity. And as uh, the saying says, you know, this is the essence of the Torah. Now go and study. So if you're interested in learning more, uh, we'll, we'll include some links along with this particular podcast. And we're looking forward to next week's portion. And thank you, guys. This has been our first Spiniverse. Okay. I thought it was okay to wrap up like there just because I didn't want to take up yeah. too much more of your time. Um, I wanted to make a joke. At one point, but I wasn't sure if I was allowed to. I wanted to totally make, so make a joke. <laughs> I was going to say, Ryan, you were asking what does poor mean? And I said, oh, God checks everyone's tax return. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to be like, I, I wanted to just joke about like the stereotype because like that last, 